Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Bree, and this is the Damn Strong Podcast. Today, we're going to do some myth bustering, some debunking. There are so many myths out there about health, fitness, nutrition. Um, that honestly, I, I want to start making this like a series, like a part, like this is going to be right now. I have plans to make this part one. Um, I'd love to continue doing this until we've really just exhausted every horrendous claim thing that's out there. So if you have a certain belief or saw something on Instagram or any type of social media, shoot me a DM. I would love to like add it to my list of just like long form debunking. And of course, you know, I, I do myth busting or debunking posts on my Instagram page, but you know, what I love about the podcast is it's such a great way to have like a discussion. It's, it's my long form of content. So I have five listed here. This is going to be part one. Um, I would, I'm planning and would love to do additional parts of debunking because one, I think it's going to be interesting. And two, there's just a lot for us to go, to go through. So we can definitely have a series of this. So let's go ahead and just hop into the first one I've listed here. The first myth here is that small frequent meals boost your metabolism. Eating small and frequent meals does nothing of the sort. It does not boost your metabolism. Now, the argument that people will make here is like, well, if you have your metabolism constantly burning or constantly working, you're going to burn more fat. That's not how it works. It's like if you have you know, $70 to spend in a day, whether you spend it at the beginning of the day, all 70 bucks at one store, or you're like, I'm going to spend $10 here and then $10 at Starbucks and then $10 getting ice cream. You still burn through $70 at the end of the day. So eating small frequent meals doesn't boost your metabolism. doesn't make it go faster. If you had six separate meals and let's say it's all 2000 calories, right? All together. It's going to be the exact same process if you eat all 2,000 calories in one meal or if you spread it out across the day. Now, the better thing to talk about when it comes to this is how you're going to feel satiated. So if you're like, okay, Brie, but I enjoy eating six, seven meals. That's fine. If you want to do that, if you feel better doing that, then go for it. But the issue and the problem that I usually see arise when people are eating six meals or spreading out their meals or their food in that small amounts throughout the day is they usually struggle with a satisfaction, feeling full craving situation. Because typically when you're splitting up your calories into six separate meals per se, your, your meals are going to be really small. They're small. They're only going to be technically kind of like snacks. And so you're never left feeling satisfied, right? You have a handful of almonds. You're not full, but you're not hungry. And you're, th you're waiting for the next meal and the next meal and the next meal. I find that most of my clients do better when they eat three to four meals a day. When they, instead of focusing on constantly trying to have something to snack on or something, tr constantly trying to have something to eat, they take all those calories, divide it more so in three meals, have a really filling, satisfying breakfast, a really filling, a satisfying lunch, and then a really filling and satisfying dinner. Typically where that like fourth meal will come is a lot of my clients will have like a protein shake in the afternoon, or maybe they have like a little dessert plan for after dinner. So that's typically how it kind of develops into four, but it's not that eating small and frequent meals is wrong. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying you might be really surprised how much more satisfying it is for you to actually have three big meals over the course of the day than trying to split your meals up into like, okay, a breakfast in the morning, a snack between breakfast and lunch, lunch, a snack between lunch and dinner, dinner, and then a snack after dinner, splitting up six ways. And, you know, I've had clients before where they're like, Brie, I just, I'm constantly hungry all day. Like I just keep thinking about the next meal. And I'm like, what does your breakfast look like? They're like, it's like an apple. And I'm like, 
okay, what's next? They're like, well, then I have like a protein shake between breakfast and lunch because I'm just so hungry before lunch. I'm like, okay, cool. What's your lunch look like? And they're like, well, my lunch is a yogurt and some fruit. And it's like, okay, well, why don't we take the calories from your snack and throw from all, actually all of your snacks, the one between breakfast, between lunch and dinner, all of those, and then disperse those into your other ones and make all those meal, meals more satisfying. So that way you have a breakfast that keeps you full till lunch. And then, and then from there, you even can dive in and look into, okay, well, what are you eating for breakfast? Like, is that going to keep you full? You know, probably not everyone's different when it comes to breakfast. So I don't want to just assume and say like a protein bar is not a good breakfast for me. Like I'm totally satisfied with a protein bar and coffee. I don't get super hungry for breakfast. Um, but for some of y'all, you know, looking and saying, okay, am I having like a high fiber breakfast? That's going to keep me full. Am I just having a protein bar or am I having like two eggs, you know, vegetables mixed in with an omelet and then, you know, a, a side of fruit or something like that. That's going to keep you fuller longer. Okay. Next myth here is that there is an exercise that is best for fat loss. So a lot of times on Instagram, especially I feel like in the HIT world, like H-I-I-T stands for high intensity interval training. People talk about how these, this, these like HIT workouts or other workouts are going to burn fat. Like this is the best exercise to burn fat. There is zero exercise that is the best for fat loss. Now I will make an argument that there kind of is one best for fat loss, but for the sake of this answer, there isn't. There is, when it comes to losing body fat, the best exercise is going to be your nutrition at the end of the day. That is going to be the biggest driver of how you're going to lose fat. Now, if we, you know, if we're going to make the argument of like, okay, if there really was an exercise that is best for fat loss, I would actually argue it's strength training, not because it burns fat, but it's going to help you so that you maintain muscle. So that way, when you're in a deficit, it's actually fat loss, right? Because when you go into a calorie deficit, if you're not strength training, prioritizing your protein, it can quickly turn into weight loss. When I say weight loss, weight loss, meaning you're losing body fat and muscle. And we don't want that. When you're going to calorie deficit, we want to keep that harder in muscle, especially if you're going for that toned look, right? We want to make sure we have enough muscle to actually reveal a toned look. You want to keep that muscle and just lose fat. And what training and weightlifting does really, really well is it tells your body, hey, we need this muscle. You can't, I know we're in a deficit. I know we don't have enough energy and I know you have to get energy from somewhere, but guess what? You're not taking this muscle because we need it at, you know, this chick here, like four times, three, four times a week, she keeps going and like lifting this stuff, puts it up and, and you know, sets it down, lifts it up and sets it down. We got to have this muscle for that stuff. So you can take the fat. So there's any argument for an exercise being best for fat loss, it would be strength training, but again, not because it burns fat but because it maintains your muscle. So that way, when you're in a deficit, you're prioritizing only burning fat. And so when you get to the end of your deficit, when you're done losing weight, um, you know, and you can be confident that the weight that you lost was purely body fat and not body fat and muscle. But there is, there's no exercise to target body. You know, if you see on Instagram, anyone claiming like, oh, this exercise will target inner thigh fat, or this will target your, you know, love handles or whatever it is. It's just not true. There is zero exercise that's going to be best for fat loss. It's massively going to come down to your nutrition. Um, and then again, if I have to just for the sake of the argument, make an argument for an exercise that's best for fat loss, it would be weightlifting and strength training. So all the more reason to do it. Obviously there's a, a zillion benefits to weight training, um, especially health wise, but especially when you've spent so much time building muscle, the last thing you want to do is lose it. So Okay. Next myth to debunk is that sugar is 
poison. A lot of times I see on social media, everyone's demonizing sugar and we need to, we need to get this straight. Okay. You do not call poison control center when you eat sugar. Okay. It's not a poison. It's not a toxin. Okay. I don't think there's, hopefully there hasn't been ever in the history of whatever, no one's calling poison control when they eat sugar. Right. What's not great about a diet high in sugar is that it means there's going to be less of other things that your diet needs. Same thing with like processed foods, right? It's not that processed foods are bad inherently, right? You can have everything in moderation, but if you have a diet very high in processed foods, you're probably going to have, that means your diet's going to be low nutritionally. So when you think about sugar, when you see sugar, it's not that, oh, I'm eating this Reese's right now. And this Reese's is, is slowly killing my body on the inside. But the problem with a diet high in sugar. Like I I don't want you to have a diet that's super high in sugar or super high in processed food, but I'm not going to villainize it. Right. You can have sugar, you can have processed foods in moderation. So that way you can make sure you're getting the nutrients and the whole foods that you need. So it's more so about finding a balance and not that having sugar is terrible or the devil or like absolutely awful. The other thing that this just kind of came up in my brain that I find funny is a lot of people saying like they have a sugar addiction. Um, don't have an addiction, right? If you had a sugar addiction, right? We have to think about addiction in in actual correct terms, like when it comes to alcohol or drugs, right? You would have a pure bag of sugar sitting in your pantry and you would not be able to control yourself from eating it. You're not doing that, right? Well, people are like, well, I can't stop eating the cookies or the ice cream. Did you know like ice cream is primarily like fat based? So it's so funny when people are like, well, I just crave sugar all the time. Like I just eat, you know, cookies and I eat ice cream and all this stuff. So it's not that you have an addiction. The it's, you may have, I'm not saying you probably don't have a hard time controlling yourself around it and that you don't enjoy them, but we have to remember that food today has never been more readily, readily available, tastier or yummier than ever before. And so it makes sense. If you see a cookie, you're going to want that cookie, but it also makes sense if you heavily restrict your consumption and like, don't allow yourself to have cookies or to have cakes or have whatever, when you see it, it's very hard to control yourself. But when you allow yourself these things in moderation, you find yourself being able to have like a self-control around these things because you're not just, it's not this like last supper mentality. What happens when you restrict, you're like, okay, I can't have cupcakes. I'm never going to, you know, I've seen a lot of people on Instagram for January saying, I'm not going to have sweets all of January. And like, okay, sure. Whatever. If that's the goal you want to make, but are you just never going to have sweets again? Like what's the point behind not ever having sweets? You know what a better goal would be is finding a way to enjoy sweets in moderation. So what's going to happen is you don't enjoy sweets for all of January. Then come February, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm finally allowed to have them. And you're not have have taught yourself balance at all. You've taught yourself an extreme. You've taught yourself, okay, how can I completely cut it out for a whole month? But then long-term, you're going to enjoy a sweet at a birthday. You're going to enjoy sweets on a vacation. But because you haven't taught yourself moderation, you just go crazy when it's in front of you. So if you can teach yourself moderation, understand that sugar is not poisonous. It's not toxic. It's not toxic. You know, you can have it in moderation. And it has, if you, if you just focus on having a balanced diet, like prioritizing whole foods, fruits, veggies, and then having processed and sweet treats, you know, in moderation, you're, you're going to, you pretty much take care of the problem. Focus on having those whole foods, focus on that being most of your diet And then when you feel like having the cookie or having the processed thing, enjoying that. It just, if anything is the majority of your diet, it takes away from something else. And that's where the problem with sugar can lie. Okay, fourth myth that we are going to debunk is that not all calories are equal. 
So a lot of people say like, not all calories are equal, yada, yada, yada. All calories are equal, just like all miles are equal, just like all inches are equal. Calorie is a form of measurement. It's a unit of measurement, right? And so the, the, what people are missing and are not seeing when they're saying this and, and what, you know, people who are like me who promote, you know, calorie tracking and stuff like that. I'm not saying that foods don't affect how you feel and your body and they're not, you know, nutrition and all that. I'm just saying, where do you get five calories from a cracker or five calories from a celery, right? It's still five calories either way. It's a unit of energy. Whether you have $20 in, in the version of a $20 bill or you have $20 in ones, it's still the value of $20, right? However, the five calories from, what did I say? I think I said bro celery or broccoli, whatever. Five calories from broccoli is going to be more nutritionally dense than the five calories from your cracker. Now, that's not saying that your, the cracker's bad for you. There's still nutritional value to the cracker. There's going to be more in the broccoli. And so to say that all calories are equal actually is correct. However, not all foods hold the same nutritional value. So yes, you can lose weight only eating Snickers. Absolutely. However, you're probably going to feel like shit if you try to lose weight only, only eating Snickers because you're not getting the nutritional value that you need. So when it comes to weight loss, yes, it is a mathematical equation. Yes, it is calories in, calories out. I know that oversimplifies it. Um, so a calorie is a calorie, but not all foods share the same nutritional value. And that's where people miss that. Okay. And the last one here that I want to talk about is more training equals more slash faster gains. This is absolutely untrue. The more you do does not mean that you equally get more in gains. You, people forget you have to be able to recover from what you do. I think a lot of us think that we, when we go to the gym, that's when we're building muscle. Like you feel the burn, you feel your muscles work. You're like, I'm building muscle right now. You're not actually, you're not building muscle. It's when you go home and you rest that your body takes the food and takes the protein and starts doing repairs here and all this, and your muscles actually get bigger. So if you are constantly applying a stimulus and your body can't recover from that stimulus, you're actually going to grow less. And this is the thing that I think, especially when, well, I, I don't, actually, I don't think that's fair to argue. I want to say that women struggle with the most. I think everyone struggles with it because I think women want to get more booty gains, have the snatched waist or whatever. And so they think, okay, I'm going to try and do as many leg days as I can. A lot of times they do three leg days, which there's nothing inherently wrong about doing three leg days. However, if you're doing nine, 10 exercises on each leg day, or if you're pushing intensity so hard on all three of those leg days that you can't recover from it it's not going to be more gains. It's actually going to mean less gains. Gains. So it's very, very important that when you're training, you're doing an appropriate amount of volume and you're able to recover from that. So you might be thinking, okay, well, Brie, how do I know I'm doing an appropriate amount of volume? How do I know if I'm able to recover? How you know? I, I say this is very, very general. This obviously can change depending on like, you know, sets and reps and how you're pushing yourself and all that. But I would say no more than four to six exercises per workout. And for lower body, I would really stick close to the four. You probably don't need to be doing six leg exercises. Now I, I take that like outside of calves, like if you do four exercises and you're ending with a calf exercise. Okay, cool. That's fine. You even probably could keep it four, even with a calf exercise. Again, it's very dependent on what you're doing, but I say a general recommendation is keep your leg days at four exercises and then your upper body four to six exercises, really no more than six. And you might be thinking, okay, well, why four for lower body and six for upper? We have to remember like your lower body is pretty much like glutes, ham squats, Again, kind of taking out calves, but really three main muscles that most women are working. Again, okay, let's just say four because you do have calves. Upper body, you got 
chest, you got front delts, you got medial delts, you got um, uh, posterior delts, you've got your biceps, you've got your triceps, you've got your upper back, you've got your lower back. Uh, what am I missing here? Biceps. Uh, that I mean, I just, on my fingers right now, that's nine different muscles, right? And so, you know, that's, you don't need to do nine different exercises, right? We have to remember, you know, there's certain exercises, like when you're doing a, a, a row, like a cable row, you are also working biceps at the same time you're working back, right? Some things hit multiple muscles, but there's many more muscles to be hit in the upper back, the lower back. And so that's why typically you'll do mo more exercises on your upper body, not because you need more volume per se, but because there are different and more uh, muscles to be hit on the upper body. So keep your volume for four to six exercises, four for lower body, six for upper. Again, that's a very general recommendation. Uh, and then to know if you're not recovering. And I, I'll also say like probably three to four sets. Most of you, if you push intensity hard enough, could probably do three sets. I've only done three sets for like, gosh, the last like three years. All my training, one-on-one -on -one training clients, they do three sets. All my, my group coaching, we do three sets. We push intensity um, and do three sets and it's plenty of volume. How do you know that you're not recovering from what you're doing? Typically, how you know is that your, your sleep is terrible. You feel fatigue all the time. Um, getting to sleep is hard. Staying asleep is hard. You're typically going to feel, it could even be with like two rest days. We also need to say like, let's assume that you are trying to sleep seven to eight hours a night. You're taking two rest days. You manage your stress levels. Let's say all of those are in check, yet you're, you're still feeling fatigue all the time. You're still struggling with your sleep that's when you know you probably are not recovering from what you're doing. Because, and the reason why it matters that those other things are in check is because, you know, you might feel fatigue all the time. You're like, oh my gosh, I must not be, you know, managing my volume, but you're actually only getting four hours, four to five hours of sleep. And if you got more sleep and more consistently sleep, it's actually not the volume thing. It's really more so how many hours a night you're getting sleep. So if your sleep is in check, your stress is in check, um, your rest days are in check, the, all that recovery is in check, yet you're still feeling these things, then you're probably doing too much volume. Again, why I say all this is general is, you know, there's some people that can recover from higher volume. Um, if you're a beginner, you can get away with such low volume than, than other people because the stimulus is so much greater, right? If you've never trained before or you're very new to training, the stimulus is so much greater just starting out, right? You went again, let's just say you're brand spanking new. You went from zero stimulus of this kind to a hundred percent. And so it's so funny because I feel like it's typically the newest beginner training people that want to go balls to the walls and do eight exercises. You actually could get away with even less um, than someone who's experienced just because you're brand new to this stimulus. So it's just funny because it's kind of flip-flopped and probably as you get more advanced and, you know, saying on a recent podcast that, you know, being advanced in your training, I don't think is always about the number of years you've trained. I think it's more about the skill level that you're at, right? Because you know, I had trained for several years before I really dialed in on how to program and how to get the most and be um, the most out of your training, being more optimal and intentional with my training. I saw more growth in like three, four years than I did over the course of like five years of training because I actually dialed in and had an appropriate amount of volume. Um, I prioritized rest, all of those things and saw more progress doing that than trying to do this crazy amount of volume. Learning about, you know, how to program and, and, and how to optimize my training. I was like five, six years into lifting weights. And so 
I, I get a lot of people that come to me, they're like, oh yeah, I'm super, super advanced and experienced, but they've never done RIR. They've never optimized what uh, exercises to put in their program. They've never uh, managed their volume or any, or prioritized rest and recovery or anything like that. And so I just want to put out there that if you feel like you're advanced, don't associate with how many years you've been training, but how strategic your skill level is. I think that, I don't know if that's the best way I want to say it, but I think you guys understand what I'm saying. How, how advanced your skill level is with planning out your workouts and stuff like that, because you could be five, six years in your training, never, never optimizing your training, start optimize your training and actually see more growth over the next few years than you did the, the previous X amount of years. All right, guys, that is all the myth busting that I am going to do today. Again, if you have any that you'd like for me to break down, debunk, shoot me a DM. If you have anything that I don't know, you just see on Instagram, you're like, huh, I wonder if this is true. Shoot over to me and say, Hey, I think this would be a good debunking video question, whatever, send those over. And I would love to continue to do these episodes because I don't know, I love listening to debunking fitness episodes and I'm assuming you guys too. So if there's anything you took away from this episode, make sure to shoot me a DM. I love to hear about it. As always, if you enjoyed this, please leave uh, you know, a review, give, give, give the show five stars. Also a free way to support the show is to screenshot this episode, share it on your stories, tag me, and I would really appreciate that. So, all right, I will see you guys in the next episode. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Damn Strong Podcast. Show me some love by leaving a review and sharing a screenshot of this episode on your Instagram stories. Until next time, stay strong.